Colin, welcome back. Good to be back. So in our last session, we went pretty deep into questions that you can ask to help your teams, the group you're working with, work more effectively with uncertainty. And we couched that conversation about questions within this context of a mindset shift. And this is something that is, I would say, I guess it's of deep interest to me, which is, okay, we use this term mindset shift a lot in the transformation space, but what does it actually mean? How do you actually do it? And one of the things that I had said in uh, the last session that Colin and I talked about a bit is that, well, I think both Colin and I, what we've seen is so many of these transformations fall flat. They fail to deliver some form of meaningful, sustainable, lasting change. And one of the reasons why that is, in my belief, is that it is because the transformation or the people facilitating that transformation haven't wrestled with this issue of, okay, how actually are we going to facilitate this mindset shift? How are we going to integrate that process of examining the worldviews that are currently at play in our organization? How are we going to bring that examination into our activities of a quote-unquote transformation? Colin, let me just check in. Anything you want to add to that? I think this is such a wonderful thing to explore because the truth is very little effort goes into talking about how do you change mindsets. We talk a lot about what people should be thinking differently and what attitude and perspective they should bring to this new way of working, but we don't talk about how do you do that? How do you get someone to have a worldview and change it? Exactly. Exactly. And for those of you that have been through a digital transformation, often which goes under the title of an agile transformation, you will probably have experienced metrics <laughs> that talk about how many people went on Scrum Master training, how many people went on Kanban training, how many people are doing their daily standups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a lot of, give me a word, uh, Colin, it's, it's, it's this transactional stuff. It's pointing to the thing, but it's not the thing. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's going through the, the activities that we hope will lead to the change, but they are not the change in themselves. Right. So what I would like to do in this session is to continue our discussion about mindset shift. Let me just unpack even that term a little bit. What I think we are trying to do is actually simply bring the worldview that is in operation and is often unconscious out into the open so that we can start asking questions, hey, is this way of thinking about digital product development and digital product delivery, is this way of thinking really the most efficient, most effective way for us to work 
as an organization. From that, then yes, you, my, our belief, or my belief is that you are going to come up with some different activities, some different choices. Yeah, you know, I think that I think that part of the the effort that needs to be put in is to look at what are the underlying assumptions that we hold, like you say, the unspoken, unexamined assumptions we hold about doing digital work. Because if we can surface that perhaps the underlying assumptions we have don't align with what it means to do digital work, that I think is an opening for a eureka moment, which is, oh, yes. if my assumption on this is wrong, and I might be able to recognize it being wrong by just merely asking the question about what my assumptions are and looking at it and saying, well, how do the, my assumptions align with the reality of what ends up happening when we do digital delivery? That might be an opening enough to say, hold on a second, I have been driving everything I think about how to do this based on an assumption that is not true. And therefore, I might be prepared to shift my mindset. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. And, and a lot of what we were exploring in the last session were questions. It was the types of questions that you ask are coming from a particular worldview or a particular mindset. Yep. And what we focused on very specifically in the last session was questions that are trying to create a veneer, a false impression of certainty versus openly acknowledging the uncertainty that is inherent in digital product development and then using that open acknowledgement as the springboard for questions. Those two views will lead to very different lines of inquiry. You know, this reminds me of um, just how Agile was born in the first place. We had some practitioners who were dissatisfied with the results of the industry of software development and started looking for what is it about what we're doing that's leading to these outcomes that are unsuccessful time and time again. And I get the sense that what happened was somewhere along the way, someone, people started to say, hang on a second, we're treating this like a deterministic process. Mm -hmm. And yep. maybe what we're trying to fit into that process isn't a deterministic problem. And that's a, you know, for, for the 20 or 30 years that, that people were building software before people started to take this alternative perspective, the belief was solid that we had a deterministic problem that we could work on. That if we could just work through the problems that we're trying to solve for the customer in advance and get that really clear, we had a deterministic plan that would get us to the outcome. And it's quite a shift to question that and realize that maybe that's wrong. Yeah, it's a, it's a shift, and I think it becomes very psychologically uncomfortable. That's a great point to bring out because we, whether other problems fall in the category of uncertainty in the same way or not, I guess is a different conversation. But a lot of our world does fall into that mindset that we can solve a problem and then execute a solution against that problem and get a predicted outcome. Absolutely. And if, you, if you've got something that suddenly you start to question if the approach you've been taking is rational, meaning it aligns with the nature of the problem that is there and realize that maybe it doesn't, that would be extremely uncomfortable because all our processes, all, our, all of our teaching, all of our, um, you know, just the whole The processes, was, the way we do budget. Yeah. 
everything, everything is tied. Exactly. Everything's been tied to this particular, anchored to this particular uh, assumption. And if you remove that assumption, suddenly all of those things now become in question. Well, actually, uh, to me, you've just highlighted something, probably another reason why so many agile transformations fall flat. Because notice what we've just been talking about are business terms, business activities. And what I think too often happens is agile and the, the digital product transformation is it's a separate activity. And then we just, as if we can keep doing business the way we've been doing it. Yeah. So everything else stays the same in this little bit over here can change. Exactly. Yeah. And I also think that sometimes that's why Agile gets a bad name in, in organizations where they've tried and it hasn't worked is because what Agile will effectively do, and I mean, it does this well, as an effectively in that sense, is surface where your process, processes are not supporting trying to deliver for a, a, a problem that has a huge amount of uncertainty in it. So it will surface those things which are now baked into how your organization operates, and those will seem like agile is causing problems when in fact it is surfacing problems of an organization that is not fit or set up to deliver mm. on products that are inherently uncertain i'd like to use that uh, organizations that are not set up or not fit for delivering products digital products sorry in a, in a more effective and efficient way I'd like to put out three, what I'm going to call as environmental characteristics that I feel are needed to facilitate this discussion about what are the worldviews that we are bringing, what is the thinking, the assumptions that we're making about digital product development. Again, this, this term environmental characteristics are kind of like the air we breathe or the water we are swimming in. And without these, I think you're going to, I'm not, I don't think you can, I'll make it more definitive, I don't think you really can have an open, honest, coherent conversation about the way we are thinking about digital product development so that you can change where you need to change. So Colin, what I'd like to do is I'm going to just put these out there, jump in, okay? Will do. All right. Number one, and I'm going to use my language, and I think it's, and then I'll add in, you know, how maybe sometimes you might hear other terms uh, out there in the industry. So I believe you have to create a culture or an environmental condition of experimentation. My preferred language is even to take it a little further of experimentation and play. And by play, though, what I mean is not so much like board games, but it is more my inner world, my vision, is actually interacting with external reality. The two meet, and I can experiment with a new idea. Hey, I have this idea. I have this. I've imagined something. Let's play with this and see what comes out of it. To be able to do that, you have to have a safe environment. You have to have what is often now termed as a psychologically safe environment, drawing heavily from Amy Edmondson's work. Where uh, Amy Edmondson couches her work is in the context of a learning organization. 
how does a collective learn? Mm-hmm. And it cannot learn if there isn't this, this thing, the water that you're swimming in, the air you're breathing, it is psychologically safe to experiment, to explore, to talk about mistakes. John, so can you maybe put some more concrete idea against what you're talking about? So when you say experiment, what do you mean? Experiment with what? Who um, pick? You could really. There are so many areas. Let me flip it a little bit. As we are talking about maybe some of the challenges we are facing in a group, and this is so we're with a specific group. One of our challenges is that to diagnose problems uh, when a user reaches out to us and tells us they're having an issue with our application, uh, we have to go through a bunch of manual tests. And that takes us a lot of time. Great. What are some experiments we could do to help address that problem? Not come up with the solution yet, just a couple of options that we can explore. Of those options, you know, we have three options. Two we're going to probably throw away because they may be dead ends, and one actually works. Hey, over the next several weeks, as a team, could we experiment with uh, developers doing testing so that we're not in a, you know, this kind of siloed environment of where we always as developers are handing something off. Hey, as an experiment, could our developers hold the pager for operations? Could we start putting developers on call so that if their app blows up at two in the morning, they actually have to deal with it? Let's experiment with that and see what comes out of that. Could we experiment with getting our users joining us and you know in week on week with the development teams say, hey, here's what I did. Here's what we did as a team. Give me some feedback on this. What, what, what do you think? Colin, is that helpful? Am I answering it's in the right helpful. direction? Or? Yeah, no, it's very helpful. I think it helps put some concrete ideas against uh, what you're saying there so as a higher level. I'm also wondering... Is there a distinction between when you say experiment with what someone else might say, and this might be terminology that you said is also used in the industry, it's different than the term you might choose, but process improvement. What's the distinction between someone who says, well, that just sounds like process improvement. Is there a distinction? Might be splitting hairs, but my experience of when that term comes into play is it is usually top-down driven, not driven by experimentation, trial and error, or even data. It's often a theoretical best practice, quote unquote best practice that has come from a textbook somewhere, some ISO defined standard. And usually built in the ivory tower, right? Someone designs what they think the process should be and then kind of rolls it out. Rolls it out. They haven't challenged their own perception. Often the people who are rolling it out have very limited experience in delivery. Yeah. And and they definitely do not have experience in the context that many of the delivery teams are working in. So, you know, company A is very different than company B or department A is very different than department B. And so just rolling out quote unquote best practices, I've I've never seen it work. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. What's you said? There's three of these, right? Conditions? So yeah. So I'd like to yeah. Thank you. So 
this is specific to digital transformations or agile transformations. I think you really have to couch this work in desired outcomes. You know, why are we doing this? What is it we're trying to achieve? Why, why are we talking the word agile? And don't use the word agile. No, don't make a self-referential definition. <laughs> <laughs> we are doing agile because everyone knows we need to become more agile. Right. What are the business objectives that we are trying to achieve? You know, if you can't talk about those, that's a problem. Yeah. What do you think are some good answers to that question? So I, I'm, I'm going to use what we've been using on this podcast since day one, and it, which is that we are reducing the risk in our portfolio. We are working at becoming a more effective product delivery, a product development organization. And by effective, I mean we are building products that our customers love and want us to keep doing it and keep doing more of it. And we are building an organization that is more efficient. So all the waste, the extra time that is not needed to get value into our customers' hands, we are working at getting rid of it. So we can, as I know this is going to be really lingo-y, <laughs> but we can get value into our customers' hands faster. And I think you know, there's this third one that we've put in our, in our podcast text which is building an organization of continuous learning. That I recognize, it's, it's much harder to measure, um, but I guess it's the spirit of this work that we've created the environmental conditions in which we are continually learning. So those for me are three core outcomes, business-oriented outcomes, that we're trying to achieve with this work. And if you just, you know, and from that, we can, I think, then start talking about how to measure that. Then how are we making, are we really making progress with this? You know, the desired outcome for why we're doing this agile transformation, I find really fascinating because I can't think of a single business that does this kind of digital products that wouldn't want those things. I don't think there's a CEO of a company like this who says, I don't want, I want you know, I, I'm not so interested in our company being more effective, building better products that our customers love and doing it faster than, any, than our competition, right? So but what I do think is also interesting is I'm not sure that companies measure that. No, I don't think so. Despite the but, fact that that would be, seems quite self-evident that every company who does this kind of work would care about those things. I don't think they measure it. And I think that if they did, it might help in that mindset conversation that we started all this about. Uh, I, I think you're, yeah, I, so, uh, no argument from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so maybe that, maybe that comes around to, it's, it's almost a condition, but it's also, you need to measure this thing so you care about it enough to have it be a condition that you realize is important. Do you know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. Well, and actually, let me just, because... You know, I said at the outset, a goal of our, our sessions is to give questions that you can bring back into your organization. So if you're in the midst of some form of digital product transformation, what are the outcomes it's trying to achieve? And if, how are you measuring progress? I get asked that so much, so often. Mm. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, well, should we look at our flow metrics? How efficient are we? 
How are we measuring value? Ooh, that's too difficult. Well, I know it's difficult, but that's how you measure progress. Yeah. I've got, I've got a little side story. I'm working with a client right now, um, and they've kind of embedded Agile into their digital part of the organization, digital product part. And they are now looking to um, expand that out into the non-product area of the company. So marketing and so on. And so they've done, they've started this process uh, a year ago and they are just asking for some support. Like, you know, where could we be doing this better? And is it working? Whatever. So the first thing I did was just try to understand what is, what does life look like right now in this space? And the question, of course, like you just said, is why are you doing it? Like what has inspired the organization to say we want to bring agile into this other area? So there was never a clear answer offered, but I discerned from the conversations I had that really it was about cross-departmental collaboration. Hmm. That was really what the, the, the difficulty was. They said, you know, the kind of things they want to do going forward require what we might say in the digital space, sort of cross-discipline teams. Mm-hmm. They need the same sort of thing for non-digital work. And so what I'm working with them on is how do we measure that? If that is the purpose, how do we measure that it's either helping that or not. We can, tell, we can do anecdotal stories and so on. That's not, that's not a bad place to start, but something that is, that is concrete that everyone can be looking at as a metric to say, are we actually getting any better for all this investment we're making and trying to incorporate this new way of working? We need, we need something to look at. That's nice. That's good. My experience has been that discussion very rarely happens. Yeah. I think it was implicit, but because it wasn't implicit, people didn't really know. Why are we doing this? <laughs> Very good point. A really good point because I think actually it is implicit and part of our job as people that are in this transformation space is to help make it explicit. I think that's a really that's a really good point. It's not that it does not exist at all. It's quite buried. Yeah. And I think it's also our job to bring some rigor around it. It's very easy to kick off these things, like you say, you know, the self-referential version of we have to be agile. We're going to use agile because we need to be agile. Okay, but wh- what does that really mean, and and how are you going to know that you're it's worthwhile investment? Because there is, a, I think, that in the transformation space, we have an obligation to make sure that organizations are spending their money wisely. And it just might be <laughs> you. You are a very generous. I, <laughs> I completely agree, but I cannot say I see that in the agile <laughs> transformation space. But it is our job, whether we're, we're negli- being negligent in that space, you know, it's another story, but it is our job. And I think to do that well, part of it is making sure that everyone's clear what it's costing to do what we're doing, what's the value we're trying to generate from that and work toward, and we, you know, there's some, there's, in, in fact, all of that's one big hypothesis, isn't it? But the hypothesis is if we invest this money in this way, we will achieve the benefits of why we did, said we're doing this in the first place. Yep. And those benefits should be net positive. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, one of the questions that I want to explore with this organization is, is what happens if you decide not to do this in an agile way? Interesting. What's the cost to you as an organization? Maybe it's cheaper. It's still hard to do this kind of work, but it's cheaper to not try to do an agile way than it is to do an agile way. I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I think there's a rigor that's required to, um, and the duty that we have uh, uh, to make sure clients are spending the money wisely is to ask those questions, even if the answer might be, you know what, that's probably not what we should be doing. And if I could just highlight to those of you who have been listening to some of the earlier podcasts, notice again, we are talking about rigor. 
in session three, we talked about the rigor of budgeting. And now Colin is talking about the rigor of outcomes in a transformation. And too often, agile is often framed as a very loosey-goosey way of working. And Colin and I just, I think, vehemently disagree with that. It is quite a rigorous way of working. And, you know, if you're sitting as a C-level exec or a head of a product line and you're feeling, man, this agile thing just feels all over the place, that's a problem. Yeah. I have number three. Let's do number three. All right. And I think that these are two questions uh, that we did not look at in in our last session. So number three, developing a reflective practice. Colin talked about the history of Agile. There's someone who is one of the people that really kicked off this movement. His name is Alistair Coburn. And if you don't know him, I highly encourage you to get familiar with some of his work. But he talks about Agile ways of working or the Agile frameworks as reflective improvement frameworks. They're not detailed or prescriptive enough to talk about as methodologies. But when you couple these loose frameworks with a reoccurring uh, activity of reflecting as a group, and by reflecting, we are asking ourselves, what did we do well over this last period of time? And where can we improve? That it offers enough for a team or a group to deliver digital products successfully. And I think those two questions are absolutely essential. What did we do well, and where can we improve? I've got a little anecdotal story to share. So I've been at us two now 10 years, and I think back to my interview, and it was quite a rigorous interview process. And at the end of it, one of the people who's interviewing me said, if you could only have one agile practice mm-hmm. out of all the ones that are available, which is the one that you would keep? And I thought for quite a long time, because I'm, you know, I'm under interview conditions and I've just kind of gone through the rigorous part of the interview and that's the last question. And I thought, you know what? I think the retrospective is the one because everything else could be born out of a retrospective. Mm-hmm, like you could, mm-hmm. you could actually build the agile process and approach just through retrospectives. I think you're absolutely right. I think so that's that, also what Alistair Coburn is is alluding to. Yeah, yeah and so right. I, so I, so you know, under the pressure, I'm not saying you know I'm particularly smart, or even as smart as Alistair Coburn, but my, <laughs> but that was the answer I came up came out with. And over these ten years, that has become so much stronger in my psyche about how, just how powerful retrospectives are. And and I'd like to add that it is um, impressive, amazing. Pick your word. How many of these, quote-unquote, maturity matrices often will ask a question, are the teams doing retrospectives? They never ask, is the leadership doing mm. retrospectives? Yeah. They don't ask, are, is the, you know, whoever that group is, this, the group of managers, are they doing retrospectives? It's something that the teams do. It's an agile thing. And... I, this is why I want to talk outside of the context of Agile and just talk about a reflective practice. Is your organization taking time out 
as a collective to say what did we do well and where can we improve? And then bringing those ideas for improvement and creating experiments, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and well, those are my three, those are my three. There's there's a few other areas that I'd love to explore in other sessions, but these are the environmental conditions that I think can help you as a person. We talk about um, you know, the leader, a leader at all levels. Yeah. Colin and I, this is our kind of concept that really wherever you are in your organization. I think that you could help bring about, uh, should we try and do, I'll just sort of do a recap here, Colin, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, did you want to add anything before I do Well, recap? I'll tell you what, my, yeah, my, my wheels are spinning here because awesome. I think that people like Alistair who you know, really paved the way for creating mental models to understand this kind of working, have, there's the risk as a listener to a conversation like this who's just in their day-to-day they're not exp- they're not trying to be agile experts they just want to do a good job within their teams and have their teams function well their organs their departments etc what can get lost is that even though something is simple it can be incredibly powerful mm. just those two questions right yep. what did we do well and where can we improve and then of course the third one is what action are we going to take right yep that is that that in itself is just such a powerful thing and i i just didn't want that to get lost i wouldn't want someone to, to have heard the complexity of our conversation so far and hear and miss this gem because that gem is incredibly powerful taking time to get together as a group whether it's your leadership team it's your own team it's your department it's whatever group it, is trying to get stuff done together and ask yourselves those questions it i, I cannot i cannot over uh, express just how powerful that combination is. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. It's, it's, um, I agree. I agree. So, time for a recap? Let's do a recap. The first thing, which is creating an environment that allows for experimentation, because the only way to really improve is to try new things. Mm. And, you know, one of the things, one of the quotes, I, I'm, I'm not a huge, um, Bezos fan, <laughs> but <laughs> he has said some things I find really useful. And one of them sticks with me, which is, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially he's saying, everybody wants the benefits of experimentation, but no one wants to take the risks and the costs of doing experiments because to be a true experiment, you cannot know the outcome. If you know the outcome, it's not an experiment. Yep. Right? Yep. And I love, you know, like I butchered it a bit there. If you look it up, you'll probably get a, a much more eloquent version of it. But the, the truth is that the only way you're going to make these comp- kind of improvements and kind of work that we're talking about here in digital product, product delivery is through on-the-ground experimentation. People doing the work need the opportunity to be able to try something that they didn't do before and not know for sure whether it's going to work or not. And the only way that's going to work is that they feel that it's safe yep. to try something and then find out that it didn't really work. And that's okay. We learned something. We're going to try something else. Absolutely. So, so that was the first point we, we touched on today. The second one, right, is about making sure it's really clear. Why are we trying to make this agile transformation happen in this organization? Mm. Just because Spotify does what they do and just because Nokia did what they did, <laughs> those aren't reasons to do it in this organization. So this organization needs to know really what is the reason why we're trying to embark on this change. 
and put metrics around it. So if it's about faster time to delivery, how long does it take you to deliver stuff now? Absolutely. Great. If it's about great. In increasing your customer uh, engagement with your product, what is it now? And use those as ways in which to understand if, are you making any improvement by bringing this new way of working? So being clear what your desired outcomes are and the, and the associated measures that you're going to use to monitor that. And the last one is recognizing that all of this mm. is best served through a reflective practice. Mm. Taking time, not a lot of time, but taking time to just pause intermittently and ask the question, what are we doing well? And that's a, that, you know, that question can often get kind of pushed to the side because that's not where the improvement's going to come. But the truth is that's a very, very important question because you want to hold on to the things, explicitly hold on to the things that are working well. Absolutely. Amplify them. Amplify yeah. them. And then where could we improve? What are things that we could do that would make things better for us? And mm -hmm. therefore, what are the actions we're going to take after having that reflective conversation and coming up with some things we're going to try as experiments, going back to point number one, yep. to have this virtuous loop of trying things that are going to make things better and better. Mm -hmm. How'd I do? That was great. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I'm the one that has the script here in front of me. Colin did amazing. <laughs> okay, everyone. Thank you very much. We're looking forward to uh, continuing these discussions. Please, we'd love to hear from you. So do send us some feedback or questions. You know, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks, John. Thanks, Colin. Bye, everyone.